Hey, this is Kyle. And this is David. And this is the Techno Podcast. to the Techno Podcast, where we talk about everything tech and startup related here in the Denton community. And today, we're here with Step Ahmed. Is it Ahmed? Ahmed, yeah. Ahmed. Oh, Very man. Good. I'm so good. You're amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, we're here with Step. We're going to talk about his life and, and his experience in our tech community here in Denton. And uh, so, I'm just going to go ahead and kick right off. Uh, David. All right. So, our normal first question is something related to either how you got to Denton or why you chose Denton. And I think you have returned to Denton. So, if you could just tell us uh, what brought you back here again. Yeah. That's a, how I got to Denton is a long, windy story. Actually, a lot of the, a lot of the things we're probably going to talk about are not very linear narratives. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, how why I came back to Denton is kind of related to how I got here in the first place. Um, I went... I went to UNT. It wasn't my very first school that I went to. I started out in junior college. But uh, Dave Sims uh, was actually the first person who ever brought me to Denton. We were um, at TCJ, what was TCJC Northeast at the time. And we actually drove up uh, to uh, hear the one o'clock lab band play in the Rock Bottom Lounge at at UNT. (laughs) And that was actually, that was the first time I'd ever been to Denton. And I I was a musician, but I didn't really... um, I didn't know about UNT and the UNT College of Music and what a big deal it is and stuff like that. And uh, anyway, I, I transferred. I ended up um, in the College of Music for a while. Like a lot of people, I didn't finish in the College of Music. <laughs> but um, yeah, and so then um, we had moved away um, in 2000 thinking we were we were just going... I mean, I, I, I was... You know, we were here most of the 90s, and I kind of became, you know, diehard Denton like a lot of people are around here. And so, reluctantly moved to Houston uh, when my wife finished grad school, thinking we were going to be gone for, for a year, and then we'd be back. And uh, uh, so, 12 years later, after seven <laughs> years in Houston, five years in Vancouver, Canada, um, you know, uh, where another place where we kind of thought we might stay forever, um, my wife was really feeling like we needed to be close to aging parents. And it was like, well, okay, if we go back to Texas, where do we go? Your family's in Houston. My family's, you know, somewhere else. Where, where, what do we do? And she's like, well, you know, all of our longtime, really close college friends are still in Denton with, uh, you know, with now with their families and stuff. So I was like, let's, let's go to Denton. So in, in a real way, it was, um, it was a place that I had been trying to figure out how to get back to. I mean, even, even living in Vancouver, which is an amazing place. We loved it. It was like the only problem with Vancouver is it's not Denton. <laughs> um, you know, of course we, we kind of say the same thing about Denton. Now the only problem with Denton is it's not Vancouver. So we kind of wish that they were, that there was like a, you know, a portal in our closet or something that we could, <laughs> we could go back and forth between them. But, um, yeah, you know, so for me it wasn't, it wasn't originally it was school. Um, it was, you know, coming to be a part of the the music community, the creative community. It wasn't even related to technology or anything. And coming back had a lot more to do with um, sort of those deep friendship roots that we have. Um, but some of the growing aspects of, of culture in Denton, the growing startup community and tech community and stuff. And, um, you know, being somebody I've been remote working remotely. I had been working remotely for a decade. So that was not really a factor 
yeah in in choosing it yeah so how so since you had moved back how long has that been so uh we've moved, we've come back twice <laughs> <laughs> so we came back five years ago directly from vancouver um and then little did we know that was going to be like our last year with my mom mm. and so when she passed away we moved away uh to go kind of help my sister go through everything and Again, thinking we're going to be gone for a few months and then we'll come back to Denton. It was three and a half years. <laughs> and so we've been back now for a year. Ah. Yeah. And we bought a house. So it feels like, you know, we're, this is a little <laughs> more, you know, a little more lasting. Yeah. It's funny. I, cause, uh, whenever you started coming to little doc, um, and I realized that we lived across the square from each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of funny. Um, so, so you moved, uh, so you've been living in Denton for a while. Um, and so how did you get involved in technology? I mean, you started in music here's, let me preface that with another question. Sure. Um, since you kind of brought it up, why do you think a lot of people come here for music, but they end up going in another direction? Um, because people realize that they need to be able to eat. (laughs) (laughs) It's part, I mean, that's part of it. It's like for me, um, you know, and actually this will, if I, if I just kind of answer the original question, I think it will, um, it'll kind of, you know, I think my, my story is probably pretty typical because yeah, I mean, you're right. A lot of the people that I played music with, um, back, back in the day are software developers or, doing something, something in technology specifically. So it's not just other generic jobs. It's, there's some correlation mm-hmm. with software. I have some ideas about what I think that is, uh, what that correlation is. But, um, you know, for me, the, uh, it's funny cause like tech technology, I was always interested in technology and I always had, um, I was always playing around with something, experimenting with something. I didn't have the attention span or the discipline to really, um, get good with anything. Um, I was thinking, yeah, my first computer that I had, this will give a little bit away about my age, um, was a Timex Sinclair 1000. <laughs> and um, I, I'm probably 81 or 82. So I was, I, I'm guessing I was 10 years old when I got that computer. Mm. And it was, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those things. It was $99. I think we bought it at Radio Shack, if I remember correctly. This tiny thing you would hook up to your television. And it had like a, you know, bubble keypad. It wasn't like real keys. It was like one of those horrible bubble keypads. <laughs> and um, it had some ridiculously low amount of memory on it. I didn't have the RAM expansion. I didn't have the way that you would, if you wanted to save anything, it had an audio cassette, right? That you would, you would record everything onto. I didn't have the, the official one. I just had like my cassette player and I never could get it to work right. So I remember um, having like a programming magazine, right? I would, I would open it up and I would say, oh, here's this uh, skiing game. And I would sit there and I would type it in line for line. And then I would play the game for a while, try to save it, couldn't save it. It would never save correctly. And so then it was like, oh, well, now we've got to shut down. i got to go to bed or whatever it was. And then the next time I wanted to play that game, I would have to, re- I would do it again. I would sit there and retype the whole thing in. Um, so that, that was a part of, you know, me pretty young, right? But I still I had no ambition or idea that I would ever be a software developer. I kind of thought, well, that's not something that I could do because I had all these assumptions about what that meant. And besides, I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to be like, you know, even here for a while in Denton, it was like, well, my goal, I'm going to be a record producer. So I actually co-founded a recording studio uh, here in town that still has a life without me long, long after me. And um, thinking that's kind of what I wanted, what I want to do. So yeah, here I, here I was, uh, fast forward 
many, many years, right? Living here in Denton, going to UNT, rooming with Bear Cahill, if any of you guys yeah. know Bear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and Bear was a, he had just graduated. He was, a, he was a software developer. He was working at IBM at, at IBM at the time. And he would try to explain things to me, explain like object-oriented programming or this stuff. And it just seemed, my brain just couldn't process what he was talking about. And so I had all these assumptions, like, well, software developers, those are people that like are really good at really hard math. And I'm not really good at really hard math. I can do logic. I can do algebra, basic stuff like that. But I can't do that hard stuff. I could never do like cryptography. I could never do this stuff. So it was, I had this, this sense in my head, I'll, that's not something I'll ever, ever be. But I was always kind of interested. You know, I was always kind of dabbling, in, but not thinking I could do it. So here I was, I was, um, you know, had this recording studio part-time, uh, uh, well, kind of full-time, um, with my co-founder. And it was one of those situations where every dime we brought in went back into more gear. So I had to do something else to kind of pay the bills. And, um, another local guy that some people may know named Doug Burr was working at a place called e-instruction, which I think that's, that's a place that plays into a lot of people's stories, a lot of people's histories that are in technology that have come through Denton. And he was doing content development over there. And it was like, you know, Hey, we're hiring, you know, and so I was like, well, I can, I can come, kind of do that. And so we were literally digitizing bits of textbooks to be presented in classrooms and, um, not, not programming, not doing anything like that, but working with software, you know, we're or working on, you know, a computer doing technical things or whatever. And while I was there, you know, the, the web was kind of a new thing still and just dabbling just for fun, just to be learning. I picked up a, an HTML book and started teaching myself and well, you know, hey, I overheard one day, hey, we need somebody to kind of run our website. I was like, well, hey, I've been reading this book. Come on over, you know, <laughs> come on over and do it. And so I, I, you know, I had this part-time job where I was kind of getting opportunities to teach myself to things, you know, to learn HTML, teach myself JavaScript. And, um, you know, get, we get to a point in the story where, you know, I'm, I'm here working at the recording studio not making any money, all the money's going back into that, but, but feeling creatively fulfilled, like really loving what I was doing. I'm really, really enjoying doing the, the web development for what it was part-time. Um, I'd gotten to the point in my relationship with my girlfriend where I knew I was weeks away from proposing and she was about to go back to grad school. She's a speech pathologist. And, um, you know, I just looked at the situation I was like, okay, one of these things brings in money. One of these things does not bring in money. And I'm about to have a wife who's in grad school. Hmm. Okay. So I went and had a conversation with my boss at instruction and that turned into a full-time job. Um, and then gradually I just moved into other things. Like I started, uh, we had a, our first kind of server side dynamic project, um, in a, a language called cold fusion. That's, you know, this markup language that, uh, you know, I haven't touched in a long time. Apparently it's still around. Um, mm-hmm. a buddy of mine that I worked with there actually just picked up a new project working, working on some cold fusion, <laughs> but that was kind of like my first, you know, kind of progression then to some server side development. Um, you know, we moved to Houston when, when Jessica graduated, uh, from grad school, and I was in, you know, they went through kind of a couple of rounds of layoffs. I was caught up in that very first round of layoffs and it was like, well, you know, what do we do? I found a job in Houston doing web development, Java based, like, you know, JSP, um, and learned that picked up Java on the job. Um, anyway, that, that's kind of how I got into technology, um, and kind of how it became this thing that was, it was 
for that whole period of time, it was something I was doing, not thinking, oh, I'm a software developer and this is my career. It was this sort of falling into this thing that I figured out that I was good at. I figured out I enjoyed, but it was, well, I'm doing this now until, you know, I really get back to doing whatever it is I was going to do. Like whether it's, you know, being a record producer or, you know, I had ambitions of like, maybe I'll go to grad school and I'll become like a philosophy professor or something. I had all, all of these things that I thought I might do. And so for most of that time, I thought, you know, I, I discovered myself in a career um, almost by accident. And it was only in retrospect that I realized, oh, wait, no, I do this. I'm doing this now. <laughs> this is actually a thing that I'm, I am doing. Um, I mean, part of, that's, part of that, that reluctance to admit it was driven by the recognition that I didn't have a computer, a formal computer science background. I didn't have a degree, right? I didn't have a computer science degree. In fact, if I, I was thinking about it, I, I didn't take a single computer class in high school, in college, uh, ever, like you never had a single computer class. So I had this, um, you know, I know we talk about imposter syndrome a lot in, in this field. And, and so I, you know, as I, I, again, all of those early assumptions about what it meant to be a real software developer carried over. And so I, in my mind, it was like, no, I, I'm not really a software developer. I just have this job where I just do these things and I'm okay. I'm good at hunting down bugs, bugs. And I'm good at like making things work and do what, you know, we want them to do or whatever, but I'm not like a real software developer. Right. Yeah. I remember actually the first time, uh, my, my first paid web project was I was work. I, I worked in paintball for a long time, right? Like 10 years or so. And uh, my my boss at the time, uh, we had built an indoor paintball field, and he wanted us to. He was like, "Oh yeah, with this website." He was like ASP Classic nerd, right? <laughs> like everything was an AP, ASP Classic, and he was like, "Oh, like apparently we need like our website on like phones." And I was like, "Ooh, I might be able to do that." He's like, "Could you make our website?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, sure." So. I made it in jQuery mobile at the time. And I was like, oh, this wow. is the best website ever. <laughs> I'm so proud of it. Um, so so we know you as a Ruby guy, right? right? So how did you go from, you know, doing like uh, HTML and ColdFusion and like getting into Ruby right now? Yeah. So if you, you know, if you remember in between, there was the Java based web development, which, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't know. I can't... It, when I was when I got into when I was doing that, um, it was sort of before there were like really robust web, web frameworks and stuff. It was like we were, you know, on my team we were writing our own database pools and you know database connection pools and stuff like that, like really gross stuff and doing a lot of um, having to do a lot of our own plumbing and all, all the things that like we now take for granted in 2017 that we don't have to do these things that that's what these great web frameworks are for that are out there. Um, well, this is kind of before Java really had had those things, and so it was re- it was really painful. Uh, at the same time, um, I didn't really know. I was you know I was good at what I was doing, but I I didn't know how to write maintainable code, right? And you know, and, and actually, that's something that um, I talk about a lot now. I, I really I think I um, probably drive my developers crazy talking about this, but. It's, it's a lesson I had to learn over the years. And, and part of it is because at the time, um, I mean, I got to where I thought that that's the inevitable trajectory of every software project. If you start out brand new, pristine, everything is great. Everything is easy. It's easy to understand what's happening. 
it's easy to change things, it's easy to add things, and then gradually it just accrues more and more craft, more and more, and becomes harder and harder to understand, more brittle, harder to work with. You know, you change something over here, it breaks things, you know, the completely unrelated areas, and it just gets more and more miserable. And so working on that project, while it was some, it was a project that we had a lot of uh, we had a lot of industry success on in the industry I was working in. Um, but it became more and more painful. And by the end of it really killed my love of programming. And I, I thought it was something about me. I thought I'm just not cut out for this. This is terrible. Uh, I hate Java. I hate if I see another XML configuration file, you know, I'm going to hurt somebody. And so I walked away, I walked away from that job in 2006 and went to, uh, went to Vancouver to go to grad school thinking, I'm done with this. I'm going to go be an academic. I'm not going to do software ever again. So I, you know, I went to grad school. I finished my master's degree and didn't really have any clear direction about what I was going to do next. And in the meantime, some, some people that I had worked with had discovered Ruby. Rails was kind of new. It was you know, a couple years in. And they were like, hey, this is really fun. You should check it out. It's like, well, I'm not doing anything. I'll start playing with this. Hey, this is, this is cool. This is fun. And... Um, Bear, Bear contacted me and said, hey, you know, I've got a guy here I'm doing some projects for. He needs some server-side development. Would you be up for a project? I was like, well, I'm not going back into software, but I don't see any harm. I'll, I'll do a project. This is kind of fun. I'm learning, I'm learning this. It's like always, I'm always picking up a new language or a new thing or whatever. So I'll, I'll you know, yeah, this will be fun for me to do, but I'm not, I'm not going back into software. I did a project for them. Like, hey, we got another project. Well, I'll do, I'll do this other project. But that's it. But that's it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going back into software. People ask me, "What are you doing now?" I was like, "Oh, I don't know. I think I may do more school or something. I'm not really sure. The one thing I know is I'm not going back into software." Um, but I was really falling in love with Ruby at the time, and 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 through Rails, um, you know, and and you know, Rails was. Um, I mean, I don't need to. I, everybody kind of knows like the in, the influence and impact that that web framework has had. Um, just sort of on the wider world of, of web development. Um, that idea of like a very opinionated framework that um, makes a lot of decisions for you upfront about says, you know, this is the best way to configure these things. You can do it other ways, but you're going to have to like, you know, kind of roll that part on your own. But, um, but all of the stuff that I hated about developing that JSP project I worked on about having to do all of that plumbing and run all of the, you know, electrical, all, all the infrastructure, all those things, uh, you know, it's like, it was just done. It was just done for you. And it was like, I saw like a lot of people did, um, uh, that original, um, DHH's original, um, in his little five minute blog demo or whatever, however long it was. And I was like, look, see, boom, you've got it. And now you've got a blog magic, ah, you know, um, but the fact was, I, I loved it. I loved it that I didn't have to make a lot of those decisions. I could just jump in and start building stuff. I really enjoyed Ruby. It's like if you think of uh, when I think of like uh, Java, I think of Java as being a very verbose language. It's you have to you have to say a lot. There's a lot of preamble, you know, just to say say something, just to be able to print something to to the screen or whatever. It's like there's a lot a lot of preamble. Um, whereas Ruby, you just you know put s string. Um, so I found it to be an enjoyable language, a beautiful language. And anyway, I, I spent, I would say 18 months doing projects for people, like just, just like small one-off projects or, or, you know, second versions or something. 
um, mostly doing mostly doing Rails, doing a little bit of iOS um, full time before I finally had that same realization where I sat down. I was like, wait a minute. I think I'm actually, this is what I'm doing. I think I'm actually a software developer. And I think I actually am enjoying myself. I think I actually like it now. Um, so yeah, so that was Ruby. And yeah. I never looked back. So, so uh, me being a developer coming from uh, the Drupal world, which is like a lot of people fall into this pitfall of you have a hammer and everything starts looking like mm-hmm. a nail. Right. So have you ever encountered that whenever you're working on some Ruby projects or you get a project in and you're like, maybe Rails isn't the best idea? Oh, sure. Project? Yeah. 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 Um, I, mean, I don't, can't think of a specific, I was trying to think of a specific example. Uh, I mean, for instance, you know, I spent um, a lot of those projects I did at that time, you know, I was, I was doing primarily um, a server side API for a mobile app. And, uh, so there wasn't really, there might've been an admin interface, but maybe not sometimes. Um, well, there are better, I, I, in my opinion, better options for that now than just like a a rails app Mm -hmm. there, you know, at some point somebody released rails admin, which is a stripped down version of rails. That's, I mean, not Rails admin, um, rails API. Is that what it is? Yeah, I'm, bl- I'm totally blanking on what it is. It of is. course, I'll believe you either way. Yeah, Rails API, the Rails API project, um, Rails admin is something totally different. Um, yeah, or you know, at um, my last my last job, we used uh, Grape quite a bit, which is also um, a Ruby based framework, um, but it's it's custom made for doing APIs. But it's it's a lot more uh, pared down. You know, it's not you don't get the whole when you start a new rails project you get like kind of the whole universe you get a lot of stuff with it um but um i mean yeah i mean i don't even know it's like for me ruby is a personal choice um but i mean there are there are cases where other other languages might be a better a better choice well i found recently and and i'm a bit naive and slow at picking things up sometimes but recently i've noticed that all the developers that i would want to work with do ruby or iOS, mm. really. And so I'm saying, I'm finally thinking, uh, as a company, we probably want to be a Ruby shop so that we can work with people we want to rather than being a shop of PHP. And then, not that PHP people are bad, but the better developers, to me, get to choose what language they want to do and yeah. then are going to choose Ruby, is what it seems like. And so um, I, I think there's some self-selection there. and. Yeah, and maybe it's just all the Denton folks are that are good are Ruby. <laughs> I don't. I don't, I don't know, know that it's that. I mean, I think part of it is you know there's. I mean, there are things that are inherent to a given language and how it's designed and sort of the the opinions and and personalities of the people that that create and design that language. Uh, there, but then there are also the whole ecosystems, the cultures that grew up around those around those languages, and you know Ruby. Um, when Matt's created Ruby. The it was with the in, uh, explicit intention of giving programmers joy, like that's how he talked about it. I want to design a language that is a joy to to work with, and so I've I have found that to be to be the case. It's like I just I I enjoy it, I love it, um, and you know I like languages that I like now uh, are very similar to Ruby. Like there's now Elixir, which is um, um, which is built on on the Erlang VM. It's a functional language, but it was uh, created in the style of Ruby and taking a lot of the lessons, the things that make have made Ruby a joy to work with. And actually, you know, going going back to the community, there's there's this, there's another saying in the Ruby community um, 
it's you may have seen Dave posted the acronym in the the our the little little D R B uh, channel Minswan M I N S W A N which is Matt is nice so we are nice and it's this saying in the Ruby community that the the uh, creator of Ruby he's a he's a nice he's just a nice guy and so we that's kind of like the community and the culture is like just we are nice because Matt is nice. Um, or something like that. I may probably, I think I butchered it, but anyway, uh, something like that. So I, that, that is something it's like, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed the community. I've enjoyed the, enjoyed the culture. It's a very collaborative community. You have people who are, there's not a lot of competition. You have people really wanting to kind of support each other and help each other. Um, you know, I've enjoyed the conferences I've gone to and, and things like that. Um, I, you know, not every language has the same, the same community or, or framework or whatever. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, do you uh, do you actively contribute to like open source projects, or do you maintain any, anything on GitHub, or like what is what does uh, that work look like to you? Yeah, I um, I'm a bi- I'm a big believer in open source, and I have ha- I have some commits into some things, but I am not super super active um, super active in it. You know, some of that goes back to being a dad of very young kids. Um, that that kind of takes um, more more time than I ever realized that I had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so talking about some companies you've been working for or working mm-hmm. with. Um, so I only know you for like two things. And that's Walmatch and Ready Rosie. Yeah. Like that's as far as I know. Um, so w- were you doing Ruby before you were at Walmatch? Yeah. Yeah. So I did. I spent um, a few oh. years. Um, so just kind of freelancing, um, doing a lot of Ruby and some iOS. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, um, one of, I turned one of those clients into sort of a technical partnership. Uh, and so I was, uh, you know, technically CTO, I'm doing air quotes. I know you can't hear air quotes on a, on a, uh, on a podcast, but I'm, sound. yeah, swish, yeah. A, a CTO of a, of a company called I protest where it was, I was the entire technical side of the company with a couple of people on the business side and, um, did that for uh, a couple of years until we ran out of, we overran our cash and, uh, then started, you know, looking, I was like, well, I've got to do something else now. Um, cause I can't do this for free as much as I like it for whatever percentage I own of, of this thing that's not making any money yet. Um, and so, I mean, that's a, that's a common, you know, startup thing. And it was, um, um, you know, there, there, I have thoughts about how we maybe could have done things differently to make it more, uh, self-sustaining, but uh, it is what it is. And uh, anyway, so I, as I started looking for something else, g- going back to uh, Dave Sims, I feel like I need to mention his name at least as many times <laughs> as he mentioned my name on his. So I'm getting close, I think. I think it was like three times. But yeah. uh, um, Dave was working at Living Social at the time, uh, along with uh, Chris Morris, who's another local Ruby dev. And um, Dave was like, hey, you should you should check this out. So I kind of got into the, the process with Living Social and... Uh, had been passed over by one group. I was about to talk to somebody else when Dave was like, Hey, hang on. I'm, I think I'm leaving. And, um, you know, I had Dave, Dave, I had gotten Dave his first job at E instruction, his first programming job. And so, I, but we had never really worked together. We we had overlapped there by very, very little amount of time. and didn't do anything together. I was really wanting to get to work with Dave. Um, 
So he turns out was interviewing at Wellmatch and was about to go over there. And so I got in the queue over there and started, I think two weeks after he started. And that was, that was one of the best decisions I've, I've ever made as far as, um, you know, in kind of in my career, that was, um, by far, I, I, the best for at least for a couple of years, the best job I'd ever had, um, most talented team I'd ever worked on. I learned a ton from my time there. I would not be sitting here, um, as CTO of Ray Rosie doing, um, able, able to have the perspective and the goals and things that I have, if it weren't for my time at Wellmatch. Um, so I think Dave, I think I thanked you if you're listening, but yeah, thank, <laughs> thank you for, for taking me over there. And it's like, you know, it's like, uh, Wellmatch was a 100%. I'll explain a little bit what it is. I think Dave probably talked about it. A 100% remote company. It was a startup wholly owned by Aetna. And, um, but we operated as mostly as an independent company that kind of went away at my last few, my last year there, but, um, hundred percent remote from the, the president on down. Um, you know, so re- remote and being like healthy remote first, uh, organizations like that's kind of a passion of mine now. Um, because I've seen, I, I, you know, there's a lot of companies I think that do it really poorly and that have tried to solve problems by backing away from having a remote workforce, but Wellmatch did it really, really well. And, uh, so I feel like I've kind of seen that side of it. Um, and for so much of what we do in software, there's just, it doesn't matter if you're physically located in the same spot, right? The technology is here today that if you just set up the practices, so that people are not disadvantaged by not being, you know, physically in the same spot because they, they can't overhear the conversation that you just had with somebody, you know, who just happens to be in the same room or because you're walking over to West Oak to grab coffee or something. Um, you know, then it's there's, there's no reason to not not let people live where they want to live and also not hire the best people that you can find that you that are willing to come work with you that are, you know, good fit for your company and, and temperamentally and everything, wherever they, wherever they happen to be. Um, so it's, um, yeah, no, it, it was a great experience. I'm, I'm really grateful for, and the colleagues that I have there, it's like, we're still, um, I, I feel like even though we were remote, um, on the whole, we were closer than people, you know, I've shared cube space with in mm-hmm. the past and stuff you know, we would see each other at conferences or a couple times a year. And it's like, we still, it's like we, that, that group hugs. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a great experience. So what would you say? Um, so I, I work as a remote developer for my company. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're based in Dallas and I was going down there, you know, one to two days a week and, uh, it got to the, like, I don't know if you guys have been down 35 in a while, but it's awful. And, it's uh, fun. yeah, it's the worst. Um, and so in January of this year, uh, I think I went to the office on like a Monday and I was like, I'm never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, I think I've maybe been there twice since then and it's been mm. great. Um, and, and I think as long as you have like a really good workflow for managing uh, your projects and your tasks and your time, um, it's like remote is awesome. And so what would you say that were some of the, the key characteristics of, of well matches remote culture that made it so successful. Um, and before you start, let me yeah. tack on something else. Was it intentional or did they happen into it? Do you think? Oh, I, I it was intentional. Okay. It was completely intentional. 
And um, I I don't know, like I, I, I'm not, I, I don't think it was like one individual that was responsible for every aspect of it that made it successful. But let, let me ask you, Kyle, have you felt a difference? I mean, obviously you felt the difference not getting in that I-35 traffic every day, but, or every, however many days a week you were doing it. But have you felt that you've suffered at all? Do you feel like there are conversations you're not in or that you're missing out on things or has it, do you feel like you've been, you've, you know, so if you're talking about like actual conversations, yeah, sometimes I miss on like actual conversations, but do they pertain to me? Not that's, really. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's that's the question. You don't feel disadvantaged, or you don't feel like you're. If anything, I feel more focused because I don't have that kind of uh, you know stuff going on around you that is affecting you, or you might get pulled into a meeting, or you might get yeah. your shoulder tapped on. Really, it's just. I'm on Slack if you need me, but I'm just going to work. So so probably the primary thing that made it successful uh, at Wellmatch was the fact that it was everybody. It was 100%. We had some shared office space in New York uh, with some other um, companies kind of in the same. And I had this incubator called Healthogen where they had several of these startups. Um, Everybody was remote. So there there weren't five people... You know, there was, there was no meeting that I was sitting in where three of us were on a, on a, you know, a conference phone sitting in the middle of the table while there were four people around who could sitting around the table who had just been talking about the the stuff out in the hall and who had, you know, could have body language and, you know, all that stuff going on while there's somebody that, oh yeah, I forgot, I forgot these, that there, these two people were on the phone. Um, there wasn't that situation at all. So, it, so we were kind of forced as a company Everybody was on on equal playing field, uh, and then we made heavy use of tools like Google Hangouts. We made heavy use of that, so video video chat. Um, for the uh, engineering team, uh, we were on the server side, pretty much a hundred percent pairing, and so because we were pairing, um, you nobody nobody like. Uh, I think one of the dangers in having some people who be remote who are working on their own is that they can sort of just kind of drift off on their own and, um, and it's, and nobody notices or nobody realizes that that's happened. Um, not, not everybody, not everybody's going to be prone to that, but, but for people who are that, that can be a danger for that. But if you're, you know, if you're pairing with somebody, if you're sitting on Skype or, or hang out with somebody for hours, kind of every day working in code together, um, you know, it's harder, it's harder for that to happen. We had, uh, we were doing daily standups, um, or each, you know, each kind of project team and, you know, those are all in Google Hangouts. And for us, you know, I've seen in a lot of places where rituals like that are very much like, let's just jump in, get it done, get out and go on with it. Well, they were important, um, just even social human touch points for us. So they, they would be kind of, they were pretty loose at times. And so it would be a little jarring for new people coming in to see that, how they were, because it was like, for us, it was like, well, that's our water cooler time. It's like, we don't get that with each other. Um, we, um, we would have, uh, the, the, the development team would have every Friday virtual happy hour, the last hour or two of the day where we'd get together, you'd grab your favorite beverage and hang out and, you know, Google hangout. And, um, you know, that, that was important, um, just for reinforcing that. Um, and then we did see each other in person a couple times a year and we found that we found that to be important, but part of it too, I think was, um, maybe hiring strategy and hiring, hiring well for people that, um, for people that, 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 um, 
I think it takes um, it takes a probably a good amount of empathy. Um, that's a word that we used a lot uh, when talking about our culture at Wellmatch, uh, but I think it played into how those things worked. Um, so neat. There, yeah. I mean, there, there's more. That's the stuff. That's the stuff that just rolled off the top of my head. I mean, I was like, this is not the first time I've talked about it or thought about it, obviously, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, well, David, do you have anything else? Well, let me add on that. I've been in bad remote situations mm-hmm. and it's where most of the office is in there. And, and I think it might be different for you, Kyle, cause you probably have your own project and it's not like a cooperative thing as I was going to make that comment much. actually. Yeah. But so I was trying to be leadership in a company and everyone else was in the office. And then I would find out about decisions that I didn't know about that right. happened. And to me, that just irritates me. But I, I like controlling things also. So Yeah. So my, my last year with Walmatch, we had been merged with uh, a company called iTriage, which was we were 100 percent remote. They were 100 percent on site in Denver. And um I mean, and when they, when I say merged, like we, we completely, we merged. I had, <laughs> I had, it's com- I had a combined team. Half of my developers were remote and they were former well-matched folk. I had, I had four developers on site in Denver and, um, it was rough. It was a completely different situation and trying to figure out how to make that work. Um, there has to be, when, when you're in that kind of situation where you do have an office somewhere and some people are in the office, I think there has to be, it has to be completely intentional. There was an article somebody wrote recently where they they made a distinction between being remote friendly and being remote first that I think captured a lot of the stuff that we were trying to say last year um, and was having a hard time communicating. Um, Being remote remote friendly is like what what you're talking about. It's like we have an office and we happen to have, you know, three people. It's like, oh, yeah, we're remote. You know, we have three people that live somewhere else and that aren't in the office. Mm-hmm. But everything about the way that you it works together is like the people that are remote, it's like it, it, it's an afterthought. And decisions happen, and you say you're in a leadership position, decisions happen that you weren't even, you weren't even there for. Well, no, I'm sure nobody set out to, let's, you know, let's hose Dave, let's make, you know, <laughs> let's make decisions without him and not consult him or whatever. It's just, you know, you're out of, out of sight, out of mind, right? right. Um, so I think there has to be commitment, it has to be intentional, and it has to be really from the top down in order to make it, to make it effective. Um, I mean, there were things like, you know, I spent last year where we would have, we would be in a meeting where there'd be six people sitting around a conference room table and there's a camera set up at the end and six people there. And it just, it, it, it affects the dynamic. And, and especially in a situation where we were trying to merge two cultures, um, and it was completely reinforcing the divisions and the distinctions between you know, between the two groups. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a much, I, you know, there are companies I think that, that have, have done that well, but I never quite, quite figured out. Um, I mean, I was able to, I think diagnose some things, but I wasn't in, a, I didn't have, uh, the ability to change everything that I, that I would have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also kind of a different scenario when, uh, you know, you know, if you compare us to, me working for an agency that works on multiple projects versus like right. working for like an internal, like one product, you right. know what I mean? Um, and so a lot of the times, especially if you have a smaller team, uh, you end up working on like a project by yourself. And so everyone's kind of siloed a little bit. Um, and so doing, you know, checking with everyone else on like, Hey, 
how's it going? Like, I can't, like if David and I were on the same team and like we're working remote, like I can't just like walk by and be like, Hey, how's it going? You, right. You okay? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. <you> know? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I like can get a little out there, but you know, it's like the, but now it's like you, you know, we've got, we've got Slack, we've got, you know, it's like how connected I, I, I I'm in touch with you guys pretty regularly just through Slack. And it's like not, I don't see you guys face to face that often, mm-hmm. but, and it's, it may just be like me making a stupid comment about something, which I am prone to do <laughs> or just, um, you know, like, a, a you know, an emoji or something, mm-hmm. but, but just kind of seeing, feeling that, having that little bit of connection. Um, yeah. And there's people that like, I feel like I know through the tech mill Slack or whatever that I've maybe met once or twice, but I kind of have, how you know so the those things go a long way in that type of working situation too mm-hmm. so yeah anything oh, else yeah so i have a couple other topics feel free uh to to say no i don't want to answer these or not so but the listeners david just pulled out his phone well i, I had it out the whole time but i picked it up and moved <laughs> it in front of me i know i have to be very literal uh so so a little bit of background uh I have a company here for the listeners and for you. Uh, I have a company called Shepherd Dog. Brandy and I, my girlfriend and I, are the only ones that own it but uh, and the only ones that work there. But this year, we're th- projecting that we're going to have to hire someone else. And so we are looking around Denton and saying, kind of like just keeping our eyes open, okay, what what's out there? Because I don't want to put a posting out there and interview because I don't believe in interviews. Um, and so what is your experience building a team in Denton right now? I've noticed, or from what I know, you've hired a couple, I I hesitate to call them junior because they're experienced, but not as much in programming. And so what's your experience? So I, I mean, I've hired one developer. Um, and it's, it's interesting is like, I, I was thinking about this. I don't, um, my hiring strategy, I, sorry, I looked away from the mic, didn't I? It's like, it's like I've never <laughs> done it. I've never yeah, been on the mic before. Um, my hiring strategy has changed uh, two or three times since I started um, based on, you know, things that were avail- people that were available to me. For, first of all, I don't, um, you know, so yeah, uh, yeah, Terry Thomas is my, you know, was the one, the one hire that I've made. Um and um, he just happens to be local. Um, and it hap- happened to be because, you know, I, I knew Terry from here at Stoke. Um, and, you know, he's um, junior as a, as a software developer, like brand new as a software developer. But, yeah, obviously he brings tons of experience, um, you know, even in, even in the startup world uh, from the, the biz, biz dev side and stuff. But, he, but he's, he's somebody that... Um, you know, I, and there's a whole nother topic we can go into is coding boot camps. Um, um, yeah, I have a lot, lots of thoughts. Uh, it's been, I'm particularly, um, yeah, one in particular that I, that I really like. Anyway, um, I'm a big, I'm, a, I really love, uh, what it, it, coding boot camps represent. Like, I love that idea of people coming with really broad backgrounds and broad experiences and just retraining. So, yeah, I mean, he brings all this experience with him. Um, he just happens to be a brand new developer. And so there, those, there are some specific skills. It's going to take him time. So I think it's fair to say he's a junior as a developer. Uh, I think my team overall is, is fairly junior. I have one, uh, one developer who's a little bit more experienced. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I did not, um, 
yeah, I didn't, you know, post a job or, or, uh, anything. It was like, I, I think I had kind of had Terry in mind for a while once my strategy shifted a little bit and I knew that, um, I was going to be looking for more of a, another full stack developer who could, who could pair with my other, uh, server dev. Um, so yeah, I don't know how to help you with that question. <laughs> and actually going forward, it's like my, my goal with, with, um, growing the team at ready Rosie, it's like, I'm, I have no problem with hiring people locally, but, but, um, I mean, I have he just happened to be local. I have no, no intention of limiting, um, you know, who I'm looking for. In fact, m- most of the people that I know that I would bring in that are like experienced with the technologies that we're using are not local. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I'm kind of torn in that because I do want to help the Denton tech community more sure. and build more density here. But then I, I think we have to acknowledge that the choices here uh, compared to the entire world are, are limited. And so, uh, yeah. That's the thing, right? And I think, yeah. So like uh, Kevin Rudin and I have had this conversation thinking about um, how we want to grow not, not, ju- you know, he thinks about more than just ready Rosie, believe it or not. I know that's you know hard to believe with, with Kevin, but, um, yeah, how do we, how do we, you know, I think about, well, how do we grow a team at ready Rosie? But there's that, there's that thing. It's like, right. We've got, you know, a couple of universities here and we have people who graduate there's not really good places for them to go locally. So they, they start working somewhere else. And then how do we get those, those people back into that? So it's a little bit of a catch 22 It's like, how do you build, build those local jobs so that you have more experienced senior level people here locally or who want to work here locally. I don't know. I, I think there, there are a handful of people who've chosen to live in Denton who work remotely somewhere else. Um, I mean, sometimes they might be a lot, a little out of reach for us in terms right. of like, you know, the salaries they can command and, right. and things. Um, for me, um, Sort of the the strategy. I don't know. I don't know that it's it's a super uh, thought out strategy at this point. But um, you know, obviously, there's sort of a growing um, with with Cubus adding some Ruby and Rails there with uh, Ready Rosie. Uh, really, me making the decision to to change our technology stack on the server. Um, we're trying, we're trying to build sort of a local competency where we can build up more senior level folk who, you know, they're not necessarily going to stay at one of our companies or whatever. Um, you know, I plan on as I grow the team, hiring some more senior level people who may be remote, but who are kind of feeding their expertise back in. I think there's like a longer term play maybe to see it Mm -hmm. actually see it happen. Um, right, and us little guys might just need to do what we can to get by until it we doesn't get solve your problem. <laughs> right. That doesn't solve your problem right. for this these next few months, right? right? Where you want to find somebody who's experienced, who's right. good. Um, yeah. So, so I have I have a comment that might be able to help you with this. So, my company uh, I've been working for for uh, I think this is this will be my fifth year um, working for my agency, and our I've seen our team flux. Like when I got there, it was. Uh, like kind of large and we shrunk and we grew and then we shrunk again. Um, and so now that we're really more focused on uh, as a distributed team um, and we have a partner agency in San Diego now, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to rebuild some or grow the engineering team a little bit. And so we are doing an internship program here at Stoke this summer. Um, and we're going to hire three 
development interns, and uh, we we got this prod or this this uh, process from our partner agency where they have um, they run their their interns through like an eight week program, right? So mm. uh, it's not just like hey, come do random crap for us. It's like we the purpose for the interns isn't for like cheap work, right? It's right. for, we are investing our time into you to potentially be a full-time employee. Right. Mm. And so, uh, they basically have these assignments that they put the, the students on. And so it's like, okay, your first week we're going to do like uh, Drupal basics, right? We're going to teach you all about content management and things like that. And the second week we're going to teach you a little more about the web and how everything gets integrated. And then we're going to go into like object oriented programming and like Drupal APIs and, and, you know, building things. Um, and then my, my plan after that is then, you know, putting them on some client projects like, okay, how do you do, how do you QA? How do you work in Git? How do you, you know, do development and, or, uh, or deployments and things? And so um, it might be worthwhile to get maybe like a summer intern, you know, or at least put out mm. a couple feelers for that. Um, and I've thought that about goes. that, but as, as it's me. Like it, takes a, am, yeah, it takes a lot of time to develop that person, yeah. And, yeah. and I don't know how how much, if any, of their time I could bill, and so then we're just losing. Mm. Right now, so the, the problem we have right now is I am the bottleneck. We have more work than <laughs> I can do in a day, um, and so that so I need someone that can hit, hit the ground running. Because uh, the other thing I'm thinking of, I'm teaching at the community college. I'm like, is this making an impact or should we bring on an intern where I can do one-on-one time with a person and make a big, bigger impact than trying to help a group of people? You um, just need someone so. to pay you to do that. <laughs> pay us to have an intern. <laughs> yes. That would be and great. And I've thought about that also and how that could work. So yeah, all these <laughs> tons of ideas. So, Kyle, are you this? Do, do you expect to be able to hire all of the interns long term? Uh, I don't. Um, I, I have I have no expectations right now. But based on the results from the agency that we we have talked to, um, it varies. Like sometimes they've hired their whole program. Yeah. Sometimes they've hired none. Right. Is the, it is that based on the quality of the? It's the it's uh kind of that but honestly they say the real factor is culture like as Mm. long as they can fit in your culture and they have a willingness to learn Mm -hmm. um, and grow that's really all you need yeah right and and you know obviously comprehend but you know they don't need to know everything off the bat but if they show that initiative and they show that they can you know grow um and they kind of fit with your culture then usually that's that's how they make their their determination. So I don't know. I'm kind of excited to see how it's going to go. Yeah. I was going to say if there, you know, that if there are, are more than you can hire, then maybe there, there's your, uh, <laughs> there's your hire. There you can use his hard work. Yeah, use his hard work and take him. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to hold off on my other question because we are getting near an hour. Oh, we are. So, yeah. yeah so. All right. I don't have any problem filling time <laughs> talking. I can talk. Sorry about that. Do you but. know the banjo? Can you play a banjo? <laughs> Um, I could figure it out. I've never played the banjo. Uh, Okay. So, so our last question is David, I think you like the way you wrote it in the email. I'm, we should just say that from now on because uh, I always word it kind of weird. Um, do you want me to read it? Yeah, right can now? you read okay. it? You, it's right in front of you. I just turned my phone back on, and I'm going to hold it in front <laughs> of my face. Uh, what advice would you give to someone starting out in the industry or still in school to get to where you are today? Yeah, and that that's a hard question because 
um, you know, as you heard this hour, like I did not have a linear path. <laughs> was I not didn't, a plan. <laughs> no, I didn't set out. I didn't set out to get to where I where I am right now. Um, you know, it's if I could go back. Um, oh man, you know, and it, it's um, you know, in my role as a CTO, is that what you're looking for, or just as a like a, a senior software developer working, enjoying what they're doing? Somebody working remotely? I mean, what what are? Um, I, I'd keep it as loose as you think, but mostly to be at your position. In I life. think I if I could have, um, and I've, I've been thinking about this a lot with. Um, you know, really, is I've been I've been focusing a lot of time with uh, with my my server team, uh, Ryan and Terry, and um, the thing that I wished that I had when I was in their position was a very experienced mentor, somebody who could. Because this is the thing, like now sitting sitting as a, as as CTO, it's like earlier I talked about that that thinking the inevitable trajectory of every project was just to get harder and harder to maintain until you finally you abandon it, switch jobs or something to work on another fresh thing that's fun to work on again, because it's not, it's not as brutal. That's not an inevitability, right? There, there is, you can learn to write maintainable software. And for, from a, for a company, um, that's the long-term expense of, of a piece of software that you hope stays in production for a long time is its maintenance. It's not its startup cost. And I think a lot of, for a lot of, especially young companies, they make the mistake of thinking we can get away with cheap now, um, and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out later. Well, um, learn to write maintainable software, whatever that means. And all, all the stuff, in, in my opinion, all the things that we talk about, um, were design patterns and refactoring and, you know, uh, loose coupling and all those things that we talk about, uh, good, good naming and, and stuff like that is, um, those are all things that are geared towards the long term life of a code base. And so one of the questions I started asking myself was like, what is it before I merge a PR before I, you know, uh, merge a piece of code is like, what is this going to, how is this going to read to somebody that's never seen this before? How long is it going to take that next developer to understand what's happening in this file? Whatever this file is, is it, do I have like a 400 line method or function here? I mean, I've seen that, (laughs) <laughs> you know, pretty, pretty recently even it's like, that's, that takes a long time. So being kind to being kind to the developer that comes after you, having empathy towards that developer that comes after you, even if it's you in six months when you don't remember, and it probably will be <laughs> right. It probably will be. So that, that skill is, will get you a long way. If you can, if you can learn to do that, um, develop, you know, develop some communication skills, um, you know, learn to talk to people, learn to listen to people. And the other, the other thing is uh, that I would say is software technology. Um, these are tools that we use to solve problems. Um, it, it's, you know, it's fun. I mean, I like, I'm a technophile as much as, much as anybody. I love playing with the new gadgets and stuff like that, but it's, it's about solving problems. Learn how to listen to people and understand what their problems are, what their pains are. And, and apply your skills to that. It's like, that's a, that's kind of a different skill from just like learning. Oh, I know this programming language. Or I know this framework or whatever. Um, and when you're early in your career, have say, when you're early in your career, optimize for learning. Uh, don't, you know, don't, it's like if you, if you have the opportunity to take something where you're going to, you're going to learn, you know, do it, jump on it. I don't know. 
<laughs> that wasn't very organized, but it's like I've got yeah, I've got a lot of, a lot of disorganized a <laughs> lot of disorganized advice I can give. We'll have to do a part two podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, step. Thanks for being on the podcast today. Thanks so much this for inviting great. me. I'm, I was really glad. You know, I've, I've uh, I haven't listened to everyone. I've been listening listening to some of these, and you know, awesome. Well, if if anyone, if you wanted anyone to get in contact with you, how would they find Step around town? Um, yeah, well, you can, you know, if you're walking around the square, you might see me down there. I do have an office down there that I'm at at least two or three days a week. Um, but you can you can uh, reach me via Twitter as S Ahmet, S A U M E N T, or by email S Ahmet at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, thanks for being on the podcast today. Uh, and for our listeners, this is the Techmo Podcast. We do this every two weeks. Um, like and subscribe. We're on iTunes. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll see you guys next time. Bye. 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 All right, everyone, just give me like a like a test sentence. Steph, you can go ahead. Now I have to think of a sentence. Or does that count? Is that that good? All right, good.